morning we read from Paul's letter, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then deeds of power, then gifts of healing, forms of assistance, forms of leadership, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But strive for the greater gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. This is the Word of God for the people of God. You are the body of Christ. You are the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. Understanding this key Christian proclamation that Paul writes in this letter to the Corinthians, I think cannot be overstated, the importance of which can guide and direct us as we strive to be disciples of Jesus Christ. For when we fail to understand that this proclamation applies to us and is of utmost importance, then our witness is watered down, and those who do not know Christ or do not know Christ well are robbed of the opportunity of seeing the image of a loving Creator God alive and at work through us being manifest in the world. When we fail, in our own witness, we allow others, sometimes Christians, sometimes not, to suggest that there's nothing of particular import that's going on here or nothing that they need to pay attention to that could be so very valuable in their lives if they were able to make that connection. You are the body of Christ. It's an important concept theological precept something that we should hear and understand and begin to integrate in our own lives so when we realize that this is of the utmost importance then God is able to work to do marvelous things in the world in which we live so easily today people decide that Christianity has nothing of value to share all they have heard is judgment and people being cast out. They have not heard the full gospel of God's radical love and grace for each and every one of us. But even in a media-saturated world, a life that is full of love and faith and hope and mercy and forgiveness grabs the attention of any and all whom encounter it. When Christ is alive and evident in a person's life, it makes a difference. As Methodists, when we look for a powerful example of a life where Christ is alive and evident, we often think of John Wesley, our founder. And certainly Wesley garnered the attention of his day, 1700s in England, 
First tens of people began to seek his spiritual guidance and counsel. Then hundreds began to come. Finally, thousands are coming seeking Mr. Wesley's guidance and counsel, his preaching and teaching, or they knew that he was helping people have an authentic and real experience of God alive coming into the world through Christ. But John Wesley's not the only significant person in the rise of Methodism. His mother, Susanna Wesley, was a powerful, powerful influence in his life. Susanna Wesley was very well educated. She could read and speak the biblical languages, and she taught them to her children. She was the first teacher and tutor for John. He went on to other schools and finally graduated from Oxford, but Susanna was the one who built the foundation in his life for education, and particularly in terms of his faith formation, his education in terms of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. She spent time with each of her children every day, talking with them, leading the families in devotional life. Her life was one that was filled, and it was evident that she was a committed follower of Jesus Christ. But there was also, of course, his brother Charles, who was John Wesley's closest confidant in the early days when Methodism was first beginning to take shape. Charles became the voice of the movement in music. He was a gifted musician, a lyricist, a hymn writer, a keyboardist. Of the three hymns we'll sing today, two of them penned by Charles Wesley. The Wesleyan or the Methodist movement became known for when they gathered together enthusiastic singing in fact, they were criticized that they were too zealous and too enthusiastic when they came together to worship God. But Charles embodied and propelled and energized the Methodist movement by using his gifts of music in the service of the church and the service of Christ. They were three very different people, living different lives, filling different roles, sharing different gifts, and yet all significant in the life and the rise of Methodism. All three were ordinary people through whom Christ's work and Christ became extraordinary. And no doubt they were smart and talented people, but I think there's more to the story than that. I think God was able to use them in such a powerful way because they heard this proclamation from Paul of the utmost importance. You are the body of Christ. You are the ones through whom, if someone else is going to know that Christ is alive in the world, God could use to make that proclamation to another. Dr. Rice, who was the pastor here in the 1920s when this congregation was worshiping in another building was working closely with ada robinson as she was coming up with the design for this building she proposed to him that over these north entrances that there be three terracotta statues she thought the three should be john wesley and charles wesley and then she added thomas coke he was the first american bishop in methodism but Dr. Rice, even though 
he knew who Thomas Koch was, and Koch was important, said there's somebody more important in the rise of Methodism and in Methodist history, and it is Susanna Wesley. The next time you go out or in this door, if you look above these north entrances outside, you will see John Wesley flanked by Charles and Susanna Wesley. They are great reminders for all of us that we all have different gifts, and yet we're all a part of the body of Christ. And they remind us because they're such great examples of what God can do through a life wholly offered to God. Wholly offered in the service of God. Hear what Paul wrote to these early Christians at Corinth. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Let that soak in. Let that seep down to the core of your being. That you are a part of the body of Christ. That you are a part of the revelation of God's love being poured into the world. Allow God's blessings to pour into your life. Sense God's Spirit being in ministry with your spirit. Trust God's leading and guidance to work in your life and to lead you to the way of life. You are the body of Christ. But Paul says more than that in this passage. He says, oh yes, we're all individually members of the body of Christ. But he also says we are all connected in this body. Paul uses the parts of the body, the human body, to illustrate that we are connected, but we are not all the same. In this 12th chapter where we were reading, just a few verses before where we began to read, Paul writes this. Chapter 12, verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Then down in verse 17, he goes on. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as God chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Based on that and other passages, there's a strain of Christian theology or the Christian perspective that God has made us different on purpose. That God has made us different on purpose. That God has made us different, given us different gifts, called us to play different roles on purpose because it makes the whole richer and it empowers God's work to be more effective in the world. As we're gathering here 
There are delegates from around the world representing United Methodist churches from around the globe who are meeting in St. Louis, Missouri at what we call a general conference. They're going to try to decide a way forward for us. There's been some divisive debate going on for years and years, and you could say the crux of the issue is how much difference can the United Methodist Church embrace or tolerate how much difference do we believe that God wants us to work with within this body we call United Methodism I think voices from many sides have made the mistake of saying we all have to be the same I think they're looking for unanimity but all of us know just like these Christians to whom Paul is writing to so long ago that if we took a poll here, we would not all agree on any issue. It seems unreasonable to expect that we can draw people from around the world, representing so many different countries and cultures and ages and stages in life, and expect they're all going to be able to agree. But that's where we get stuck. When we realize we don't agree, sometimes we begin to attack one another. Paul has a better answer. Paul has a remarkable and a powerful answer. We read it today. Let me read it to you again in verse 29 and 30. After he said that we have lots of different gifts in the church, then he begins to ask this series of questions. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Paul knows that his readers, his listeners, are going to say no to every question because they know that they're not all alike. They know. They can recognize that there's difference even in that small group of early Christians, Paul gives them a perspective in which they can embrace their differences and still remain united. Being all alike seems to be impossible and contrary to God's plan across creation. Paul says, okay, then, if we can recognize that we're not all the same, then how do we move forward together? His answer is in verse 31. I've put it in the outline. He says, then, strive for the greater gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. And what is that way? It is the way of love, Paul says. He used the word agape, which means that kind of love that wills the good of another, that is really to work for the good of someone who is different. He writes about it in these next three paragraphs right after where we read. It composes the whole of chapter 13 in this letter to the Corinthians. I want to read you just a few of the sentences. I think it's some of Paul's best writing. He writes it like this. If I speak in the tongue of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, 
I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions, and if I hand over my body so that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And then Paul closes that section with verse 13 as he says, And now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, and the greatest of these is love. Strive for the greater gifts, Paul says. Strive for faith, hope, and love. For Christians, the excellent way is the way of offering our whole selves, our best selves to God. Because you are the body of Christ. And the way we operate As members of the body of Christ, our MO, if you will, is faith, hope, and love. Excellence comes through faith, hope, and love. Our leaders who worked on discovering and articulating these core values about which we've been talking for the last several weeks wrote number seven like this. The Boston Avenue Church community strives for excellence in the service of God. It's to be a reminder to all of us to bring our best, whether we're pastors or staff people or people in the congregation, whether we've been here a long time or today's the first time we came in, the call is to bring your best, to offer yourself, to offer your gifts, and to trust for God to use them in the midst of us all gathering together for good. Boston Avenue Church community strives for excellence in the service of God. One of my favorite illustrations in terms of what it means to strive for excellence and what huge difference that can make when we are willing to do so comes from a book entitled 212 Degrees by Sam Parker and Mac Anderson. I want to read you just the opening sentences of the book. They start the book like this. They write, at 211 degrees, water is hot. At 212 degrees, it boils. And with boiling water comes steam, and steam can power a locomotive. Raising the temperature of water by one extra degree means the difference between something that is simply very hot and something that generates enough force to power a machine. 
a beautiful, uncomplicated metaphor that ideally should feed our every endeavor. It reminds us that seemingly small things can make tremendous differences. 212 degrees is not only a message of action, it's a message of persistent and additional action. The continual application of heat, effort to whatever task or activity you undertake in order to achieve not only the primary objective you see, but to reap the exponential rewards that are possible by applying one extra degree of effort. One extra degree of effort or commitment or love can make a huge difference. One extra degree of faith, hope, or love can move us toward excellence. Is there anything more important than offering one's life wholly to God? Paul in the Gospels would say, no, there's nothing more important than offering your whole self, your best self, all of yourself to God. I began to try to imagine what difference that might make in our life together. What if every one of us decided to say one more prayer a week that the mission and ministry that God wants to happen through Boston Avenue was fruitful. That would mean a thousand or more prayers every week. I started thinking about the people that come here to worship once, twice, maybe three times a year. What if they decided just to come once a month or maybe even twice a month? We would fill the room. We would double our average worship attendance, not that much more effort, but just a little more commitment can make a huge difference. I thought about all the people that make gifts to Boston Avenue that are able to help us finance the mission and ministry we do here. I thought, of what if all of us that worship here regularly decided that it was so important what God was doing here that we would give one dollar more a week. That would mean over the course of a year more than 50,000 more dollars. What might God do with that? What might God accomplish if we would make one extra step, give one extra effort in any arena of our faith, Sensing that God is with us as we move forward. For Paul says, you are the body of Christ. Our reminder of all of this will be this seventh core value. Reminding us how important it is to strive for excellence in our service to God. Amen.